God bless you to stand together. <clears throat> Some of the funniest things can happen in church, can't you? But we are not defeated today. Amen. Amen. First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Last Sunday, we closed out with Elijah calling fire down out of heaven, killing a whole bunch of prophets, God manifesting himself in such a supernatural way. Today, we'd like to look at after that great victory. 1 Kings 19.1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done which was calling fire out of heaven, um, killing the false prophets. And then, of course, he called rain down after the fire. It was all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods, she believed more than one, do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, you've got 24 hours to live. Now, I want you to notice this next verse. And when he saw that, I find this verse amazing because of the way that the writer writes it. When he saw that, not when he heard it. But when he saw it, you see, whenever you and I will hear something from the devil and it becomes so real to us, we start seeing it, we're in trouble. The devil tell you you're defeated, you can't make it, you go to sin it yourself, you better pull back and say, Lord, help me, readjust my vision. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die, which is so peculiar, because he run for his life. And now he's wanting God to take his life. What a state we get in when we get down spiritually. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. Now remember, there was a total of 850 prophets. There were 450 which was of the male deity that the Canaanites and Ahab worshipped, which was Baal, B-A-A-L. There was another 400 prophets, which was of the female deity, Astarte or Venus. She was supposed to be the wife of Baal. Now Ahab had a divided home because he worshipped Baal, which was idolatry, of course, and his wife, Jezebel, worshipped Astarte or Venus. Now, what's sad about this is Ahab was a Jew. 
but it's easy to see who was the boss of the house Jezebel was. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace to us, Lord, and your mercy. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as we look into your word today. Father, may every spirit be captivated by the presence of God. We rebuke the devil, which has already tried to hinder us, but he ain't hindering us. Lord God, I pray that every heart would be open to your word today. May we be arrested as it was in the presence of God. May the Holy Ghost come, I pray, and minister the word as only you can do. Help me to get out of the way, Lord Jesus, to step aside, that you can use that part of yourself which you placed in me. Speak to us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I like the way Spurgeon quoted this situation about Elijah. He said that Elijah retreated before a defeated enemy. Retreated before a defeated enemy. When God's servants get out of the will of God, they are liable to just about do or say anything. It's incredible how that a man like this, just a few hours before this warning, stood in the presence of God and saw the miraculous like we've never read about it before by any man. See what God did and yet at the threat of one woman, one woman, he gets tore all to pieces. It's like he forgets everything God has just done and all the other things God has done prior to this. And he gets so beside himself that he don't know what to do. And he begins to thinking and saying things that don't even make sense. Now, I'm not here so much today to criticize Elijah, but to bring Elijah's life sort of down to our own sometimes. And it's amazing when the people of God get to this kind of state that they will become so vulnerable in some of their strongest and greatest points. Now, a man like this, Elijah, of course, was a great courageous man, a man fearless with God, a man that would stand up against all these prophets and not just stand against them verbally, but take a sword and kill 450 of them in one slaying and face the potential of meeting the army of Ahab and do all of that without one shaking or quivering of his faith. But yet now something's happened. You know, I find the same thing in the life of Abraham and the life of David and the life of others, I'm sure us as well. Abraham, one of his greatest strong points was his faith. But when Abraham got weak, and faith and went down in the land of Egypt, the very thing that was his strength became his very stumbling block. David, which was a man of great songs and all that, yet great David's greatest strength was not his singing. 
It was not his musical ability. It was his integrity. David was a man of such integrity. And yet, as we've been looking at the life of Bathsheba, it was through this, his greatest strength, that David becomes so vulnerable. His integrity then waned away and vanished. He becomes a liar, a trickster, a deceiver. Is that right? Moses, which the Bible says in the book of Numbers, was the meekest man on the face of the earth. A man so meek and so humble and a man of such a tender spirit. But yet, he got into such a state that he turned into a man with such a temper that he lost his temper and actually had to forfeit his right to going into the promised land. I wonder sometimes if Satan don't take advantage of us in those times of our strengths and we think, oh, this will never happen to me. I'm so strong. My strength is this and this and this and I will never fall to that. Oh, but how Satan loves to hear us brag about such. I think of Peter in the New Testament, another man of such courage, yet his courage failed and he denied that he even knew the Lord Jesus. No doubt he felt so strong, I will never forsake you. It makes no difference. Oh, John, he's a weakling. And Thaddeus, he's this and that. And James the Great, he's this and the others. But Lord, I'll tell you one thing, I'll never do it. If anybody will stand by you, it will be me. And the very thing he bragged about was the very place he fell. Like Peter, Elijah was a bold man, a man of great strength and a man of great courage. And yet we see a phenomenon here before us. Now this happened in the country of Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel, where the battle of Armageddon will actually take place, not too long from today. And Elijah has confronted all these false prophets the 400 knew better than to show up. The 400 of Astarte, they never even came. But he killed the 450 of Baal. And I imagine that there was so much bloodshed that it run plumb off the place there. When you look down from the valley of Jezreel and you look up to the highest place there facing north, you face what is called Elijah's Cave. It was actually there that Elijah came out and stepped on the top of that high place there and there's where the altar was and where he, he defeated Baal's false prophets. But he hears this reply from Jezebel and the Bible tells us there that he decided to leave. So where does he head? He's gonna head to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is the most southern part of the land of Israel. It was under a different king. If you know your Bible, by this time you know that the kingdom of Israel has become divided in two parts. So they have a king over one part of Israel and a king over another part of Israel, which is called Judah. Now, it just so happens that Elijah is under the dominion of Ahab, which is the king over Jerusalem and the northern part of the kingdom. So what he decides to do is he's going to run 
and he's going to leave and go to the southern part. Beersheba is 95 miles, 95 miles from Jezreel where he's just obeyed God and done this great miracle. 95 miles. Now, he knows he has about 24 hours. Now, unlike you and I, he couldn't pick up his cell phone and call Uber. He cannot pick up and get a, a, a plane ticket down there or a bus. The only thing that he had basically was his feet. Now, I want you to think this man takes off at such haste that he arrives the next day and runs 95 miles. Now, I want you to think of the anxiety and the fear and the trauma and all that he's going through. Now, he's so nervous. He's so beside himself. He don't know what to do. And the, the anointing has now left him. Now, you and I can relate to that a little bit. We know how it is when we get in the presence of God and wonderful things happen. And oh boy, sometimes it don't even wait till Monday morning. Sometimes it hits you Sunday afternoon. And the Spirit of God don't seem like it's nowhere around you and you don't know what to do. Well, it would be even more personified, of course, than a man like this. So he didn't rest on his way. So he takes off and he must have been at a very rapid pace in order to make this journey of 95 miles. Now, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat was a good man. He loved the Lord, and yet, but he knew that there was a weakness about Jehoshaphat, and that was that he had made sort of an allegiance with Ahab. So whenever he gets down there, the Bible tells us that what Elijah did was he left his servant. So him and his servant take off running, and they go heading right toward the south land, and they arrive in Beersheba. So when he gets there, the Bible says that he leaves his servant there. Now I want you to notice as he's going along the journey, he is deteriorating as he's going. In his mind, he's deteriorating. In his strength, he's deteriorating. He's hungry because this is one of the first things that God tells the angels to do is give him something to eat. So apparently he took off at such a rapid rate. He's running, running. Can you imagine now you're running so fast you run 95 miles, 95 miles. I've been on this trek myself and it's nowhere like Interstate 26 or a lot of our country here, but up and down and around and up and down 95 miles from there and they take off in this journey. Now, when they get there, he's still, he's under this thing, and he's entered into a deeper state of this depression. So he comes to a spot to where that he realizes, now there's only one man that knows where I am, and that is my servant. So he decides to leave the servant there. He doesn't even trust him no longer. You know, this is something when we get down and we get weary and we go to fight and all kinds of things. And the, one of the first things that Satan wants to do is begin to isolate us from other people, people that we love, people that love us, and convince us, really, you can't trust anybody. Now, what makes that more real is because we've all been betrayed by people, have we not? We've been betrayed by friends or have been betrayed by a family members, sometimes betrayed by preachers or people that you have confidence in. And whenever something like that happens, you can't get over it overnight. I don't care who you are. 
So Satan then will bring that back whenever you're in a state like Elijah was in. So he doesn't feel like that he can even trust his servant. So he leaves him there. And then the scripture tells us he goes on a little further. Now actually where he's going to go, he's going to go into the Negev Desert. Now he's going into that spot which you've never been there or never seen places like it. It's a very incredible place. Has its own beauty, but yet it has death everywhere you look at it. It's absolutely a place of dryness, hardly no trees, no plants whatsoever, and dry there, hardly any rain at all, hardly nothing to eat. And here heads the prophet because now he ventures 15 more miles. So now he's run 95 miles within a 24-hour period, and he takes off again after he drops his servant, and he's got 15 more miles, and he just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into this dry, barren spot. How many has ever been there spiritually? Oh, yeah. We've all had our negative desert, have we not? Now, I want you to notice now in verse 4, that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now, here he comes, and he finally arrives 15 more miles into the wilderness, and he feels like by now he's safe. I'm okay. They won't be able to find me now, and I'll be able to get there. So he sees this juniper tree, or as it's called in the Hebrew, a broom tree. A broom tree which would have white types of leaves which would be able to reflect this Mediterranean sun. It was also a place to where he could be able to refresh himself and think. But he looks around, he has no water, he has no food, he has no company, so he's all by himself. Now, whenever he gets to here, I want you to listen now, the prophet of God of this day, which has the spirit of Elijah on him, tells us what happens to Elijah. The prophet is that he goes into a nervous breakdown. Now, he's already feeling all of this threat and all of this pressure. And no doubt, this had been accumulating for a long time. It would be almost impossible for a man to have a nervous breakdown uh, just going from a well state and within 24 hours having a nervous breakdown. So more than likely, it was the work and the load and the responsibility that was building up on this man. And after this, he felt like he was a failure. Because God had come down in a great way and he felt like apparently in his heart that the whole nation would now turn back to God. And everybody's going to look around and say, oh, what God did, what a great thing. Well, there's no way anybody else could do that. Baal couldn't do it. Venus, Astaroth, Astarte could not do that. No other gods of the heathens could do such a thing. And he must have been sort of like Jonah was when he felt like God is going to do a great thing. And when it did not happen, it must have seemed like a total failure because it was as if though what God had done meant absolutely nothing. Now, we've never seen anything like that since. Is that right? It's never been done quite like that since. But it was like the, he looked toward the miracle and he had something else in mind, that the miracle is going to lead to the revival of the whole nation. But it didn't. Instead of leading to the revival of the whole nation, it turned them more against him. And when Ahab goes home and tells Jezebel, and the messenger comes back and tells Elijah, now it seems like he's a complete failure, which is one of the worst things any of us can feel like. 
Now, whether you are a preacher, whether you are a housewife or a husband or a child, whatever you are, if you're an electrician, if you're a builder, to feel like that you are a failure and what you're called to do. It's one of the greatest disappointments any of us can have. So if you're already under the stress of that load, you sisters that are housewives, and God bless each of you for giving of yourself to your husbands and your children, and you'll have a great reward one day. You are very, very, very looked over in the day we're living because uh, with Laodicea, the women who are the most adored and all that lifted up in this age are those women who have some sort of great degree in college and they're they're women professionals and this and that and the other. Oh, a great achievement is going to be achieved today. Before the Super Bowl will ever start, uh, the pilots that are going to fly over, over by with the Navy planes, all of them will be women. And all America feels like women are finally rising to their place. They could have no higher place than what God gave them in the beginning. But yet this is the way we think. Why? Because our nation is anointed with that dominant thing that the women will be the leader in the last day. This is why they will accept Jezebel spiritual to be their head. And yet women then that are housewives, most of you women I don't figure will ever fly fly an F-35 or an F-22. You'll never be out there, glory to God, throwing your long hair back, working on a jet engine. No, most of you sisters probably the only kind of grease you're ever gonna have between your fingers is not engine grease. It's gonna be from cooking muffins and chicken and fried taters and stuff like that. So in the eyes of the world then, you all are nobodies. You're nothing. Well, let me tell you something. That's absolutely a lie from the pits of hell. God could give you no greater position than to be a woman and to be a housewife if that's so designed of God's purpose. Don't you let the feminism of this age make you think you are nothing because you will stand there that day and the Lord Jesus will reward you with a great reward. Is that right? Well, while we're at it, let's just go ahead, brothers, and give our sisters a nice hand. I thank God for every daughter of God around the world. They're a great treasure. But we can see then what one woman in the hands of the devil does. So here he's in the Negev desert. He's all by himself, no one there around him. And he finally goes into this state. He feels like a failure. His work has been so difficult for years. And then the Bible says he requested for himself that he might die. Now look at where he's at. He's just completed this journey of 95 miles overnight and a day. And he's run till he's absolutely wore out. And now he drops his servant off there in Beersheba and he heads off another 15 miles. He's already exhausted. He's worn till he don't know what to do. He's nearly beside himself. And he was running for what? Running for death? He was running for his life to be saved, right? Then after he gets to Beersheba, what does he do? He said, God, I don't want to live no longer. Well, what in the world did you just run over 100 miles for if you don't want to live no longer? Look at how we can become when we get so stressed out that we don't even make sense. Well, don't sit there and look at me funny. You all know what I'm talking about. He said, is it enough? Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, from this statement, it would make you wonder if Elijah began to think too highly of himself. 
Now, I want you to notice this statement, take away my life, O Lord, for he says, I am not better than my father. So who told him that he was? Where did he get this idea that he was better than his father's? Now he's confessing he is not. So you see, he flees from death, and now he prays for death. It's the combination of emotional burnout, emotional burnout and stress and the pressure of being a man in this office and feeling like that he's a total failure. And I'll tell you one thing, if we ever get to that spot, we are in dangerous ground. This is why people take their lives because they feel like their, their life is absolutely wasted. So look at him, he's in, he's in total burnout. He's feeling and experiencing a weariness which he's never felt before. On top of that, the man is so hungry he can hardly even go. Now, you can imagine you're running, running, running. You don't think to even take no, no food with you. You got to get out there and you got to run fast. And he's burned up all this energy, running all night long and all day. And then he drops him off his servant in Beersheba and he takes off another 15 miles. Can you imagine any of us running that far? <laughs> That's a joke, ain't it? I imagine some of us, if we run three, we'd be calling McDonald's, we'd be calling Uber, and everybody else, bring me some food, bring me some food. I can't make it no longer. Is this journey over? How, how far are you? I'm a thousand yards from the church. Come and get me. I can't make it no farther. Now, you can imagine all of this accumulation of this stuff together. So he's got emotional burnout, and he's weary. He's so exhausted, and the man is basically starving to death, and he has no, no water that we know of, and then he has this deep sense of failure, deep sense of failure. And then he, let's just be honest, he has a lack of faith. Something has now happened from that great miracle to where he thinks God will not take care of him. Now, if you look at it, really, he, there's no better place he could be than in the valley of Jezreel in the will of God. You're better off in the valley of Jezreel facing the army of Ahab and the army of Jezebel than you are to be under, oh my, a juniper tree out in the middle of nowhere and not having faith to believe God can move for you. So here he is. He's also dealing with the lack of faith. Well, let's just go ahead and be honest. Whenever we hear a bad report from the doctor or we look at something in a negative way and we begin to say, oh, no, oh, no, will God move for me? Will he not? Oh, go, oh no, God, what are you going to do? What are you dealing with? You're dealing with Satan trying to battle your faith and convince you that God won't do it this time. He's done it before and he's done it for others, but he won't do it for you. And what are you battling? A lack of faith. Well, I'm not sure. Will he do it? Well, I know he can. Oh, sure, if you've seen him do much, you know he can. But do you know he will for you? You see, most of us, Satan will not battle us. Can God do it? We've seen him do so much, that's even beyond question, is it not? We know he can heal the sick. We know he can heal cancer. We've seen him do it. We've seen him perform miracle after miracle, but what is it when it comes right down to it? Will he do it for me? Oh, my. So here he is, and now he has a nervous breakdown. Notice in verse 5, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. 
and said unto him, Arise and eat. Now, can you imagine as he lays there and he's shaking and quivering and maybe he can't even talk and he's, he, he's in a terrible, terrible state, crying, lamenting, thinking all types of thoughts, I, I, I want to die. I don't even want to live no more. I have nothing to live for. I failed God. I failed God's people. Maybe it was about this time he realized by what he had done, he had made the situation worse because now he's going to appear to his church as if though he is a running coward. Oh, it must not have hit him near as realistically as it did till he got under the juniper tree and now he realizes, what did I just do? I cannot believe I have done this. I have run from Jezebel. I defied the army of Ahab. I killed 450 prophets by myself with a sword. That had to take supernatural strength, one man against 450. But then when the anointing leaves him and the only thing that gets on his mind is just run, just run. Don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you, whenever you face trials and things, as I said, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have contemplating getting in your car and starting it and never coming back. Never look back. And what's amazing is you really have no plan where you're going. Well, where are you going? You're going to Estes Park and, and you know, you're going, where, where are you heading? You're heading down to uh, Florida? Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just out of here. Don't you see where you are? Don't you see where you are? You're out of, you just got to leave. So the thing is, run. Where do we get that at? Because that's the way our father felt in the Garden of Eden. When he fell and he didn't know what to do. So the thing is just run away. Run away. Just run and run from your problems. <laughs> but you won't run away from your problems. You'll be taking them with you. Now you might run from your wife, from your children, from your boss, and this and that and the other. But all them thoughts and all them issues, they're right in here. And they're right up here, and they're in your spirit, and they're in your thought pattern. Now you imagine when he gets down there, and then it hits him. Brother Johnson, what have I done? My ministry is ruined. Well, all the church, all the elect of God, if there's any of them left, he even got that low. There can't be a saved person left. I'm the only one. Dear God, only me. It's amazing how we get so self-righteous in it. I, even I, I'm the only one left. Oh, my. But there's one thing I love about our Father. Even though, no doubt, a lot of this was self-inflicted to the prophet Elijah. Maybe the Lord warned him over and over again, you're getting too tired, you're getting too worn, you're getting weary. You better take a break. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm strong. Look at me, Lord. I'm strong. You better take a break. Better take a day off. No, that's a sign of weakness. I don't need a day off. Hallelujah. I'm the mighty Elijah. And now the mighty Elijah is laying under a tree, shaking like a leaf in the wind. 
No food, no water, no desire to even live. He probably thought as he felt sleep coming over him, I hope I don't even wake up. I hope to God I don't even wake up because I do not want to live another day. I'm a failure, and now I've capped it all off. I've run. How in the world can I ever hold my head up again before God's people? I'm a complete ruination. I'll never preach again. Or maybe you're a housewife. I'll never make another bed. I'll never make another pancake. I'll never do I, I can't stand it no more. I'm such a failure. All this is being heard in another dimension. And Father has a great delegation that is being gathered to go down to the Negev. And they're being dispatched to meet at the juniper tree. Father says, I want the angel with the softest hand to go down first. And I want the best cook that there is among you. I mean, those God's got angels that know how to cook. I want the angel that can cook the best. I want this one. I want that one. I want you to go down and attend my prophet. Now, let me just tell you today, the Lord God still has those angels around with a soft touch. If you're needing a touch today from his presence. And he lay and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, then an angel touched him. So here... They have their orders. So the angel with the softest touch just reaches over and touches him. Now you imagine Father saying, don't alarm him. He's in such a state, it could terrify him. It could absolutely send him into a stroke or a heart attack because he believes he's out here by himself in the middle of nowhere. So the angel gently sent from the presence of God to tell you he's heard your cries. Hallelujah. Then the other angel is already there. The best cook. And he comes and brings him what looks like something that is so simple. And he says, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a, a cake bacon on the coals. So this angel also knew how to light a fire. And you imagine Elijah's laying there so wound up in this. You notice that I'm sure that many times when people get so depressed, they don't feel like getting out of bed. 
Many of them don't feel like getting dressed. They don't feel like combing their hair. Lord God, use me this morning, Father, I pray. They don't feel like grooming themselves or taking care of themselves. They just don't care anymore. So while he's there, the angel builds a fire and he's right there near him. And he, he sees there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Now, the angel packs all kinds of vitamins in this corn cake. You say, how do you know it was corn? Because Elijah this day said it was corn. He ought to know. So he packed all types of vitamins and nutrients and minerals and protein and carbs and all these things that his body needed. Because a man wasn't just fighting a spiritual battle. He was finding a natural battle. You know it as well as I do that when people get under a great load, many times they lose their appetite. And you can see it on their face. Their face speaks volumes that they're just not themselves. If they had a smile, a certain smile, they will still put on a certain smile. All of us are still actors. And we can act to a certain degree that everything was all right. But the act smile is not the same as the true smile. The act laugh and the act giggle is not the same as the true one. Come on. The act amen and the act clapping your hands and the act praising the Lord is not the same as the real one. So they wake him up and he finally gets up and he, he grabs a cruise of oil and he, or water rather and he just still, he just kind of addled. And the angel's probably saying, poor fella. Bless his heart, look at him. I ain't never seen him like this before. He's an awful shape that ever was. Poor guy. So maybe they help him. He's just shaking. He just, here, here, here. Let me help you. So he goes to eating that corn cake and. <laughs> I can't talk. I don't, I don't feel like talking. No, no, that's okay, Elijah. You don't need to talk. Just lay back down. Just lay back down. We'll be here with you. We'll watch over you. You're no longer alone. Hallelujah. You are no longer alone, Elijah. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. Now, I want you to notice the difference in this verse in verse 5. The first verse 5, he just tells him, arise and eat. But this time he adds a little more to the message and he says, because the journey is too great for thee. Isn't it amazing that an angel of God would only say, these words, arise and eat, three words. He didn't want to startle him. He didn't want to shake him. He's so torn up that he can only comprehend even so much word. 
He can only comprehend so much love and care. I find this so phenomenal that we as human beings can get so tore up and so apart from the reality of the love of God that God gently has to remind us again, I love you. I care for you. I died for you. I come to set you free. And he knows sometimes if he gives it to you too much, we just go into automatic shutdown. Emotionally, we're so burnt out. We just can't even take the good. Oh, Lord. (laughs) But this time the angel says, arise and eat. And then he says, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat. Forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. From Beersheba to Horeb is 145 miles walking. Of course, I don't know. But this time after he got all these corn cakes, he might have been flying a little bit every now and then. He might have just been hitting the high spots on the Negev Desert. Can you imagine a man being able to eat? Glory. Two little corn cakes. And on the strength of them corn cakes, able to go for 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to notice here in verse 9, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? I'd like to ask you that this morning. What are you doing here? Not in this building, but where you are in your walk with God. If you're in this depressed state, what are you doing there? Jesus never purchased depression for you. Jesus never purchased sadness for you and gave you sadness as part of your inheritance as a believer. What are you doing here? So sad, so despondent. But I've failed him. I've messed up. Join the crowd. Our church this morning has hundreds and hundreds of people in it who's failed him, who's messed up, who's let him down who's let down their friends, their family. Well, anybody here besides me done that? So what doest thou here, Philip? What doest thou here, Greg? What you notice, Brother Branham says it this way, Elijah had a breakdown when he was under the juniper tree. John had a breakdown in the prison. He was a high-pitched prophet, them nerves on edge, and his eagle eye filmed over. Little Elijah's heart was broke. Any minister knows what Monday morning is after a hard day on Sunday. Compare that. You preacher's wives, you know how your husband is on Monday morning after he's preached hard two or three times Sunday, so worn out. What do you think about poor little Elijah? There he was, no one to comfort him. And he stopped under this juniper tree and he knelt down and he looked up to God and said, Lord, I'm so tired and so weary. Why don't you just take my life and let me go? 
My father's all went, so let me go. Men who deal in the supernatural, who stay in the presence of God. And when you see God's program turned down, and you preach it, and you try your best, and you do everything that God tells you to do, and still they walk away from it. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. He said, a poor little fella, skinny, laying there, gray hair hanging over his shoulder. God said, my servant needs some rest. God's mercy to his servant. He just laid him down on a bunch of weeds. He went to sleep. I'd imagine there was 10,000 angels watching him sleep. There's one assurance a believer has, though the world turned him down, yet God loves him. The world may call you a holy roller. They may call you fanatic, but if you're true to God, there's one sure thing. God loves you and his angels are encamped about those who fear him. Oh, hallelujah. I'd imagine on every limb all around through the place were swarms of angels. And God came down and said, my poor little tired servant, he's so nervous and so tore up, he don't know what to do. I'm gonna pick out the angel here that's got the softest hands. Don't you scare him. Hallelujah. Walk over and stroke his brow right easy. And I want the best cook among you. You go up there and get all the vitamins you can find and put in this cornmeal. <laughs> the world's turned him down. Oh, my. But I'm going to treat him right. Hallelujah. That means praise our God. Don't get scared of that. Bring forth the best that we got to cook him a corn cake and set him down some water. And this soft-handed angel went over and stroked the little servant of God on the brow. Remember, if you've done your best, God's still got those angels in order. He loves you just the same as he loved Elijah. Now, either we believe that statement or we don't. I choose to believe it. I believe God loves me just as much as he did Elijah. I believe God loves you. But Brother Donnie, I failed him. And so did Elijah. And so have I. And so did Moses. And so did Peter. And so did every other person that's ever served him. You're going to fall and make mistakes and fall short of the glory of God. But the question is, what are you going to do when you mess up? You're going to lay down there and wallow in your self-pity? Or are you going to rise and say, Lord, forgive me and try me one more time, Lord? Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my failures. Try me once more, Lord. Try me. Elijah rubbing his eyes, raising up his little frail, shaking hands. Take a hold of the bread and eat it. Just the great angelic choir come out and formed a little panoramic around him like that and begin to sing the songs like no mother could coo her baby to sleep. Let him sleep again. The father turned around and said, you know, I love him so much and the journey's great. He's got a lot to go through yet. I'm not through with him, so I must feed him again. 
So he called the angels and dumped in another big bundle of vitamins. I believe God still got that bundle of vitamins today, don't you? And cooked up another corn cake and set him a cruise of water and stroked his brow and fed him again. I'm so glad that there is a juniper tree. When we get all wore and tore up, we can go under that juniper tree and find spiritual vitamins to travel any kind of trip. So let me tell you something. If you're facing a juniper tree today of a sickness or a disease or a bad diagnosis from the doctor, maybe God's got a juniper tree for you and he wants to have an angel of God, a messenger, a pastor, or an evangelist. Amen. That's God's messengers in this day to cook up a message with your name wrote all over it. And it will be a little bit of vitamin C for Christ and a little bit of vitamin A for Alpha and a little bit of vitamin B for born again and a little bit of vitamin D for deity and a little bit of vitamin E for everything you need and a little bit of vitamin F for he is your first, a little bit of vitamin G for he is your God, a little bit of vitamin H for him, a little bit of vitamin I for you and I together, a little bit of vitamin J for Jesus, a little bit of vitamin K for I know he's going to see me through. A little bit of vitamin L for life. A little bit of vitamin M for my, my, my. And a little bit of vitamin N for new, new, new. My strength is going to be renewed in the presence of God. He's got every vitamin you need in his divine alphabet to give you the strength for your journey. If you're facing a journey with cancer, he's got the strength for your journey. He's got the vitamins for your depression. Oh, you say, I wish I had a corn cake like that. You do. God provided the corn. For us to have a corn cake. As a matter of fact, when the corn was on the earth, he said this in St. John 12, 23. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Hallelujah. God had everything we would ever need packed in that corn, Jesus Christ. And he was ground out under the Roman burrs and released the healing power, the saving power, the delivering power for whatever you need right here in this building today. Those of you that are streaming the service around the world, if you're in New Zealand, if you're in Australia, you're in Africa, you're in Greenland, you're in Iceland, you're in Norway, you're in France, wherever you are, right there, you can believe God. The healing virtue can go right to you as you're streaming on your phone or streaming on your computer. Why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has provided a corn cake for his people. So if you're facing depression today, you can be able to stand and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to eat my way through this depression. I'm going to eat my way out of this trial of sickness and disease and trouble. I'm going to eat God's provided corn cake for the and I'm going to drink of the waters of life freely. Yeah. 
Look at what David said in Psalm 61.1 to the chief musician upon Nagina, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. And the word overwhelmed means to turn aside, to envelop oneself, to be feeble, faint, or grow weak. When my heart is overwhelmed, oh glory, somebody lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Do you notice David didn't say get there by himself, hey, but he said lead me. How many know sometimes we need to be led? Sometimes we just get so weak and so feeble that we don't know what to do. And we think, God, I don't know. I don't know a way out of this situation. I don't know what to do. I've done everything I know to do and seem like everything I've tried to do has been a failure. Will somebody lead me out of this place? And let me tell you today, God don't just use preachers to lead those weak and sick among us. Sometimes a word from a lay member, just an encouraging text, an encouraging something on Instagram. If you're going to use social media, why don't you use it for the best? benefit and the glory of God instead of a place to hang out your dirty laundry and the trash of your family and all the things that people are going through. Come on now. Use it for the glory of God. Let people know you're a Christian. Let people know you don't delve in the garbage of this world, but you're going to use every means available to witness to somebody about not only the saving power, but the encouraging power. Use your Instagram account as a way to share a corn cake. Use your Facebook as a way to share a piece of corn cake. It might be somebody sad. And the wish somebody would preach with me this morning. And they are depressed and they are weary. Use your Facebook as something that will say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to lead you to that rock that is bigger than you are, that is higher than you. Oh, David goes on to say, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. Psalms 142.2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him. Before him I so notice, I showed before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then thou knowest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me? I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. How many has ever been there? Oh, it's one thing I love about the Psalms. They are one of the most powerful books in the Bible as far as victory. But when it comes down to just relating to humanity and the things you go through. You know, some preachers preach Christianity as if though you should never have a trial. That's a lying preacher. A preacher that tells you you're going to be on the mountaintop all the time is not telling you the full gospel. I'm telling you you're going to fight devils. You're going to fight hell. You're going to fight disease. You're going to fight trouble. But the good thing about it is you can win. 
Amen. You can win by the grace of God. You're not going to get a reward if you don't fight. And we must fight greater than ever before. All hell has broke loose against the people of the last day. We can feel it out on the world. I just heard it this week on the news that they are so alarmed, the psychiatrists and psychologists, because the increase of mental illness and sickness has attacked the young generation. And there's an increase of over one-third compared to what it was two years ago. And the doctors are so concerned because suicide has raised. But I rebuke that suicide devil from amongst our people. In the name of Jesus, take your leave from the saints of God. We have everything to live for. We have everything to fight for. We're not survivors, but we are more than conquerors through him who gave himself for us. We have a corn cake called Christ Jesus and we will win. There is, oh, hallelujah, there is no devil that can defeat us. Oh, hallelujah. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. Now watch his faith's confession. You see, some people still struggle in trying to understand the balance of talking faith talk. And they think that if you say, well, how you doing? I'm good, I'm fine, everything's well. That's your faith language. But is there anything wrong with telling them when you get in pain? Look, would you remember, I'm sick today. I need help. I, I, I need prayer today. People are afraid to even request prayer on such things because they think they're, that's a negative testimony. That's not a negative testimony. Your testimony is, by his stripes, I'm healed. But I need a little bit of help to get from point A to point B. I'm dragging my leg. I'm a little bit sad. I'm a little bit depressed. Would you pray for me? But what's your confession? My confession is by his stripes, I'm already healed. My confession is I am more than a conqueror through him that loved him. Oh, hallelujah. I am more. I'm going to come right out of this valley and I'm going to lift my hands and praise the Lord. But until the manifestation hits me, would you pray for me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, but David says, I will be compassed by the righteous. I may be feeling low today. I may be hungry. I may be weary. I may be shaking under the juniper tree, but I ain't gonna stay here long because Mount Horeb is calling me. You remember what Mount Horeb was? It's where Almighty God met Moses and my whole hallelujah. Elijah had that inkling. If he could go back to where the prophet had his experience, maybe he could have his. I don't wanna point you today to this fine building 
building. I don't want to point you to some organization somewhere. I want to point you to the man Christ Jesus who come to set you free from a life full of sin. Go there and have an experience with God and their devils will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 143, verse 3. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have long been long dead. Therefore is my spirit. Notice what David keeps saying. His spirit. His spirit. Remember, we're, we're dealing with this extended series on Bathsheba. All that she must have took with her to the palace. All the trauma, all the fear, all the bad memories of an adultery. All the bad memories of her husband being killed by the man who is now her husband, David. You imagine trying to fall in love with a man that killed your husband? Now, if you didn't like her husband, you might thank him. But it's evident she was in love with him and he was in love with her. And then you have to marry the king and you got to fall in love with him. <laughs> wow. Therefore, it's my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Let me close with this. The prophet says that this way we're living in a neurotic age. If he said this in May of 1962, what would he say in February of 2023? We're living in a neurotic age, nervous tension. Everybody's racing here and there and going there and going nowhere. Ain't that the truth? They will run, slap, dab over you. If you're, you know, how many ever seconds slow in front of them, and what they do is they like that and get to the stoplight three seconds before you do, which means they get to sit there three seconds longer than you do. And they hurry down to the stoplight so they could get there, but they feel better because they beat you and they got around you. Well, come on now, don't sit there and look at me. Uh, which are you all, the slow pokes or the ones who go around and beat them to the traffic light? Okay, all right, we'll not ask that. But what does it create? A nervous tension. People are so nervous. They're living, you know how it is, they're living at such a thing. You pull out in front of somebody, I mean, they'll shake their fist at you. They'll do this and that and the other. You get a parking spot at Walmart and somebody else saw it. They was on the other side of the parking lot, but they wanted that and you're right here and get it. They still think you ought to give that to them and yet they'll walk three miles in their neighborhood in the evening for exercise. I'm talking about a people that are out of their mind. Why don't you take part of that exercise in at Walmart? It's that kind of an age, he said, and I know this church is plagued with it as everywhere else. The tabernacle is plagued. What? The tabernacle where the prophet of God pastored? You mean Elijah's ministry could not keep nervous tension? off of his own church? Oh my. It's a day of pressure. Hurry, 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 hurry. Somebody needs to write a song. Hurry, 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 hurry. Hurry up and wait. 
drive 90 miles an hour to get home for supper and then wait two hours for it to get ready. In that rushing and speeding, it gets you to a nervous tension. The wives say something a little contrary and you want to fly off temper. Husband say something. You pat your foot and tell him to get in the room. Of course, I mean, this is for some of these people that strain the services, of course. Uh-huh. Now, husband, I don't want no words with you. Get out of here. Oh, my. Wife, oh, I'm so nervous. Wow, what's the matter? All this together, this tension is building up. Then the results of it is doing something wrong and acting out of place. Nobody raise your hands. Don't bat an eye. Don't move. I wonder how many of us are guilty of this. Tension. Pressure. You say something to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your friends. Y'all done good. You can say amen now. So does it make us do something wrong? Now how many honest people? Uh-huh. How many has ever got under tension and said something you would to God you'd never said? Wish you would have never acted in such a way? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know what we need, friends? I, I think I figured out the recipe of what we need to help us deal with tension. We need to eat more corn cakes. We need to feed more on Christ the Word. Oh, my goodness. He says, it'll make the poor act that way, the middle class act that way, the rich act that way. It'll make the wrong act that way. It'll make the pretty good act that way. Well, sounds like to me he's covering everybody, ain't he? It'll make the, the good act that way because it's tension, steam built up. Got to blow it out somewhere. If you don't, you'll blow the boiler up. And you find it builds up as the day goes and you talk to your boss if you're working. Oh, so-and-so, and you speak to the kid, come in here. Mom, if you're here, oh, it builds up. Oh, my. You feel like you're going to, the head's going to come off. I know. I'm with it every day. I know what it means. It builds up. Now, you see your hot water heater, unless you have one of the instant type, if you have the one with the tank, it has what is called a pop-off valve. Mm-hmm. Comes out either at the top or at the bottom. Depends on which type of water heater it is. Brother Mike could come and tell us and explain it to us about how it works better than I could. But it's in case the thermostat gets stuck on the inside, if I understand it right, and it don't turn itself off. And it's just sitting there heating. I'll tell you one thing. Yeah, my church rocks me. I'll tell you one thing. I wanted that certain seat sitting right up there. And who's sitting in that seat? One of them little smart aleck boys. Don't they know I have a hard time hearing? Don't they know I wanted that seat so bad I can't hardly stand it? I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to quit the church if I don't get that table. I know you may have your favorite pick of a seat, but you ought to be so happy to be in this place if you had to sit in the floor. You'd say, thank God we're not in the holiday yet. <laughs> you can have my seat. No takers, huh? I meant this one, not here. If we want to love God and go to church, we ought to be so happy. 
I'll tell you, I don't like them lights. What do you think about them panels? I don't think I'm going back because I don't like them panels. I don't like this. We ought to be so happy to be in the house of God that we say, Lord, have mercy. Do you notice this? I never even noticed. I was so happy. I was just so grateful to have our own church back. I was just so happy to be in the house of God. Did you notice it? Nope, didn't notice it. What I noticed was that word, in the presence of God, and the singing, and clapping the hand. Glory to God, I'm so happy. I'm so glad. Well, I just believe I'll fulfill what David said. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. I'm going to go and I'm going to clap my hands, all you people. I'm going to shout with the voice of triumph. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to bless his name. I'm just happy to be in church. Or you're building pressure. Well, all I hope is I'm not around when you blow. <laughs> Look, friends, from the rich to the poor, everyone. It crosses every racial barrier, every cultural barrier. Everybody is under pressure. America the great. The great, great nation of America. And we just allowed a Chinese balloon to fly across our military spots, our silos in Montana. Uh-huh. We're great, aren't we? Can't you see it? Our nation is weakening. Our image before the world is weakening. Why would they do that? They wouldn't dare do that on certain presidents we've had before. They certainly wouldn't have done that on one of my favorite, Mr. Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. You imagine them sending that thing over Ronnie? Oh, Ronnie would have taken care of them Hollywood style. It'll blow them plumb to smithereens. But what does it do? It's a weakness everywhere. And what's it create? More pressure for us. Hey, we ain't got access to them bombs. Thank God we don't. we're, We're trusting our government to take care of us. Well, I don't mind telling you, I don't feel too comfortable with the job they're doing. Well, come on now. What's it do? It creates more pressure. I'm glad my trust is not in our president. I'm glad our trust is not in the army or the defense or the Congress or the Senate. My trust is in the Lord God Almighty. My confidence is in him. I found a place where we can relieve the pressure in Christ Jesus. Let me read one more to you. I look at the world today, what attention the whole world lives in, and you go down the street, and it's not even safe to drive. This is 1964. Not even safe to drive. It's not even safe to be on a four-lane highway. Everybody's at attention, snapping. What's the matter? Quieten down. Where are you going? What was, it's making the world in, insane, and the instant, and insane institutions are filling up. That's what's the church in such a turmoil. They're so... They're so Head bound on a certain thing. They won't stop and consider God's word in the hour we're living. All under a strain, tension. Listen to the church age book in the Thyatira church age. Each age had its pressures. For example, a great burden of the last age is the pressure of riches, soft living, and nervous tensions in a complex age that we seem unfitted to live in. Did that say it or not? An age like we live in, 
soft living, nervous tension, and a complex age that we seem unfitted to live in. Every day we're here, it seems less like home to me. I want to be ready to leave. You see, the pressure is building greater and greater and greater. And one of these days, we're going to be squeezed right out. Because the pressure will come, and the squeeze will come against us. And we will leave this place in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Let's bow our heads if you would. the Lord Jesus. I wonder before we pray today, how many of you would like to be remembered? Maybe you're just feeling such pressure, such strain. Maybe you don't feel so much like Elijah the prophet, but just a believer, a housewife, a, a husband, a lay person that loves God, and you feel so much pressure just of life, everyday living. I can't imagine how the people who are the world leaders, how they must feel. They can feel it too. But friends, in spite of your failures, don't you let the devil tell you there's no need to try anymore. You've failed him. You've let him down so many times. Why would he ever reach out to you again? Well, I can answer that for you because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you beyond your failures, your mistakes, your shortcomings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pick up your pieces. Bring them to Jesus. But Brother Donnie, I can't. Well, I'll tell you what then. I'll make you an offer. I'll help you pick them up. If you can't, call me. If you can't, come up and let me pray for you. Myself, these other brothers, many of these saints in this building today will do everything we can to help you deal with the pressures of life. If I could, I would take much of it off of you. But the Lord loves you more than that, you see. He loves you so much, He knows that when you deal with pressure, it helps make you stronger. I look at you as your pastor, and I think, oh, God, take it off of him, please, Lord. But He sees what it's going to make out of you. I mean, let's be remembered today as we pray. God bless each of you. Oh, my goodness. Those of you out streaming the service, those of you that archive it, you just raise your hand there where you are as well. Heavenly Father, we more than likely cannot relate to exactly the scope of the pressure that Elijah felt because we don't have that office and that responsibility that he had. But each of us in our own calling, in our own position, we can relate. Maybe the person here today that would feel like they are the least among us. They feel like they're the most insignificant person that you ever saved. But if they could only believe you love them just as much as you did Elijah. You don't love Moses any better than you love me. You don't love Peter, James, or John any more than you love me. 
And you love Peter so much when he messed up terribly, denied you. In his strength, he felt like he could stand, but it turned against him, and he was so weak. I imagine he must have felt so embarrassed and so ashamed. How could he ever face you again? How could he ever face the rest of the disciples that never think the same about him, that always talk about him behind his back, say he was a coward? But in spite of all of that, you loved him so much. You sent word. Hallelujah. Tell my disciples and Peter that I have risen from the dead. Hallelujah. You knew he would struggle. You knew he would have a hard time. So you called him by name. Oh, Jesus, would you do something similar here today father in the name of jesus christ may the spirit of god deal with everyone here today who needs this strength this courage lord we worship you lord god whatever journey lays before them give them strength from the corn of god the bread of life we partake of you today, Lord Jesus, as we feed on the word. Give us the strength we need for this week, for tomorrow, for next month if we live, next year if you tarry. Strengthen us, Lord God. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the Lord? Harry, sing something. <clears throat> Let's just open our hearts now before we go. Oh, you may have plans today for dinner and this and that and the other, but let's just... Let's just think for just a minute now. The presence of God here to help you, here to minister to you. Maybe you're under that tree and you're shaking, you're quivering, you don't know what to do. Jesus still has angels with soft hands, still has angels under his inspiration that can prepare a meal that would give you the strength you need for this journey. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, Father. Let's sing something together. Just open your heart now to him. Let him pass by your way. And touch the Lord. Hallelujah. As he goes by. You'll find he's not too busy. Oh. 
say these chains will never break but they don't know you like we do there is power in your Break the umbrella. 
His presence. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see. spoke to us today, church. Praise the Lord. Have you enjoyed being here today? I know you have. 
Let's just continue to worship the Lord. Brother Harry, let's sing that little chorus together. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. It's not just a song. That's our, that's our theme. That's our testimony. We have been made overcomers. Amen. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious through in here. 